In New Jersey, we found some key Welcome to this week's episode of Jersey Matters. I'm your host, Mike. And I'm your co-host, Casey. This week, we're going to talk about uh, the budget, uh, Cryptocurrency Regulation Act, uh, Larry Ham versus Bob Menendez on Bernie Sanders. Fight night. Fight night. Uh, cat decalling bill. Wow. Is uh, our New Jersey beach umbrellas killing women at alarming rates? I, I'm interested in that as a female. <laughs> and the New Jersey Candyman. After headlines, we'll be talking about... My favorite issue, which is New Jersey's water quality. Everyone needs water to live. And I will be talking about Larry Ham challenging Cory Booker for Senate. Another fight. A slobber knocker, as some people might say. <laughs> okay, so first, Mike... I want to hear all about the New Jersey budget. Okay, so on February 25th, <laughs> Governor Phil Murphy unveiled his proposed budget to the state legislature. Uh, he proposed a record $590 million for New Jersey Transit in the new budget, and the budget also includes increased marginal tax rate on millionaires. It's going to go from 8.97% to 10.75%. This would affect only roughly 42,000 taxpayers in New Jersey, and it's estimated that it will generate $493.8 million in new revenue. Now, are millionaires pro or anti the millionaire tax? That's a good question. I actually don't have any information on, like, uh, polling for that. We could research it really yeah, quick. Yeah, you could research it really quick. Okay. Um, so, New Jersey millionaire tax. I would just off the top of my head say yeah. probably against it because... <laughs> generally what rich people do. <laughs> um, okay, according to the Philadelphia Tribune, they're saying that it's the third straight year that Phil Murphy is proposing a state budget to lawmakers that includes a tax hike on earners making over a million a year. The former Goldman Sachs executive said during his budget address on Tuesday, quote, the millionaire's tax is a matter of fairness to our middle class homeowners and renters, our seniors, and the countless families reaching to pull themselves up in, and into the middle class. Assembly Speaker Craig Coughlin um, a Middlesex Democrat said, I'm always encouraged by a spirit of cooperation between the governor's office and the legislator. Um, however, I remain cautious of increasing any broad-based taxes on an already overburdened state. And I, to that, this I want to say yeah. that it's not to the state. It's basically for people making over a million dollars. Right? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> It's it's not a lot of money. It's, and it's very I, I mean, it, it, yeah, it, it's the way marginal tax rates work is when it's at ten point seven five percent. It's that's not on the total of a million. It's any do dollar made after a million. Yeah. So like, it's kind of misrepresenting saying that it would be burdening these millionaires. Yeah. Um, according to a Rutgers Eagleton Institute of Politics and Fairleigh Dickinson poll released last year. 72% of respondents supported a tax hike on millionaires, while just 14% opposed it. Okay, so the state budget also includes raising taxes on cigarettes to $4.35 per pack. This will make New Jersey tie with New York and Connecticut in having the highest tax on cigarettes in the nation. According to the New Jersey Department of Treasury 2021 budget summary, the increased tax on cigarettes would generate around $215.8 million dollars. The additional funds raised by the cigarette tax will contribute to anti-smoking initiatives as well as other health-related programs. That Go sounds good. Yeah, I, I think so as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a smoker, but I feel like... Yeah, full disclosure, non-smoker. <laughs> as, as a non-smoker and New Jerseyan, I, I think smokers expect a high tax. I feel like when you purchase cigarettes... Like, I don't know if anyone else has been to Europe recently, but... Buying cigarettes in Europe is very, very traumatic because they're expensive, number one. But then also they have all the imagery of, like, all the damage that smoking does to you. So I think yeah. in comparison, paying a little more but still having, you know, the naked package is better. <laughs> mm -hmm. So the other thing I think to consider from an economic standpoint is that smokers have, the rate of people smoking has declined. Mm -hmm. And New Jersey's budget also depends a lot on smoke, uh, uh, this, these cigarette taxes. A lot of revenue is generated from that. Really? So as the amount of smokers have declined, uh, they still need to raise money from it. Oh. 
so they've increased the taxes on it. So I think that that's part that's of the impetus. Tricky. It's a little tricky, but I mean, it's it, it makes sense. Uh, it discourages people from buying cigarettes. That's true. So yeah, it's a win-win, but also a state win. Yeah. So uh, Governor Murphy also proposed the Garden State Guarantee, which is a fifty million dollars of new funds will be added to the outcome-based funding formula so that four-year public colleges and universities can provide two years of free tuition to students coming from households making less than $65,000 annually. And I looked it up, so like, currently in New Jersey, uh, you can go to, if you qualify, you can go to a community college for, for two years free and then transfer into a state university. You will be able to stack that, so you have two years free at state university, I mean, at a uh, community college, transfer to, to like, say, Rutgers or something like that. Yeah. And then you can, if you qualify, you can also have two years. So you can potentially get four years of college. But it's free. also the issue of, like, how do you qualify? Which you might get, be fun to, like... You have to make less than... Your household income has to be less than $65,000 annually. Strictly. Sure, and that's, that's pretty it. Mu- that's because pretty I much think it. Um, there was the NJ Stars program, which I think still might be in existence, but it was, you had to be yeah. in the top... 10% or top 20% of your class and have a certain GPA and... Yeah, I don't know if that still exists. Yeah. So, um, in the uh, governor's letter preceding the budget, uh, Phil Murphy says, quote, Our budget will make critical investments in property tax relief, investments in our schools and communities. Our budget continues our work to build up state funding for our public schools. It proposes increasing state formula aid by an additional $336 million and pre-K aid by another $83 million over last year's number. Every penny of that investment is a penny of property tax relief and is helping to make our communities more affordable for families. School taxes make up more than half of the average property tax bill in New Jersey. Funding our public schools is the most aggressive way we can attack the single largest root cause of our high property taxes." End quote. So in general, New Jersey public schools are funded from three sources, local property taxes, state funds, and federal funds. Although most New Jersey school districts actually don't receive uh, aid from federal government. We just don't qualify. We fund them too well. So a decrease in property taxes without corresponding increase in state or federal funds from schools will actually just decrease uh, funding for those public schools. But the issue is, um, however, each municipal government ultimately decides what the property tax rate is in their municipality. So what that means is, like, while the, the governor, ha- I do agree spending money for the schools is a good idea, and I see where he's coming from, he wants to relieve the property tax burden, there's no guarantee, because there's no enforcement mechanism in the budget, that the uh, uh, municipalities are actually going to lower property taxes. Yeah, you're kind of having blind faith in, in the systems. Yeah, but, I mean, over, overall, I think it's probably good, but still, yeah, it doesn't really... Uh, um, I would say his letter's a little misleading. It's a little bit of a gap in the services. Right. So it's up in the air whether or not this would actually lead to a reduction in property taxes. It all depends on the municipalities to make that decision. But it's also up in the air whether or not the state Senate will pass the budget, as the Senate President Stephen Sweeney has already objected strongly to the budget, particularly the increased rate of taxes on cigarettes. Sweeney (laughs) said, quote, as a smoker. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if Sweeney smokes, but it, it was very strange for him to come out against it. Quote, I was open to a millionaire's tax if there was a billion dollars in new funding for the state's underfunded pension. I don't think we really need other taxes, period. End quote. Interesting. Yeah. So that's all I have on I the wanna, budget. I want to know if he has the tobacco lobbyists in his pocket. <laughs> I should look that up. <laughs> Who is paying his bills? <laughs> Okay, is that the, that's the budget? That's the budget. That's the budget. Next up, we wanted to talk about cryptocurrency regulation. Yes. Yes, so on February 20th, Assemblywoman Yvonne Lopez, a Democrat. Last week. Yeah, last week. Introduced (laughs) the Digital Asset and Blockchain Technology Act. The bill would establish licensing requirements for virtual currency businesses in the state and create consumer protections. Lopez said, quote, we must take steps to protect consumers looking to invest in cryptocurrency while also developing the sector to continue to develop and expand in New Jersey. Wild. End quote. I, yes. what's your, are you pro or con cryptocurrency? I mean, I don't really have a stance on it. I, I, <laughs> I, I like, don't understand why people are, are so into cryptocurrency, but I'm pretty ignorant on it. Uh, at the same time, it's like, uh, I, I, I understand that it needs to be regulated because I looked through the bill a little bit and it basically just establishes consumer protections to stop people Basic. from getting scammed from other, from, yeah. you know, buying unlicensed cryptocurrency. So 
this basically just establishes. So if you're into it, this if you're into cryptocurrency, you should be into this bill. Is yeah. what I'm saying because it, it'll at least help you. And if you're if you don't care about it so much like me, you should still be into <laughs> it because it stops people from yeah you know, being scammed. Yeah, and I think with any kind of unregulated you know thing that comes into comes in comes to life you need to have some kind of re regulation i think what was it? the other thing like e-jewels weren't regulated for a while and look where we are now kids are <laughs> hospitalized from chain smoking jewels in everyday life uh, yeah no, that's that's actually probably a fair comparison i mean probably Crypto is probably not as life-threatening as, <laughs> as smoking uh, or vaporizing your lungs with, <laughs> with chemicals, with chemicals yeah. but yeah. Yeah, and crypto from, I think it has a bad rep because it used to be, it, it's the Wild West still today with it, and it used to be something that was used on the, the dark web, and I know that there were a lot of, I ran into, surprise, surprise, a drug dealer um, in, in New Brunswick when I was on my way to the library, and he was using the library, which has now been, it's now not possible. You need to have a library card to access the internet in most libraries today. But back in the day, he was using the library terminal to access the dark web. And he was using cryptocurrency to, you know, sell his drugs, to exchange drugs. And he was telling me how his, his co-drug uh, dealer was arrested in like Alabama. He was like a drug mule. Um, and meanwhile, I'm just trying to walk home. I just pointed him in the direction of the library <laughs> and he walked at the same pace as me. So I'm like, I don't, I don't need to know any of this. Uh, I'm just trying to go home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, that's pretty much my experience with, with, uh, crypto. Yeah, it's pretty much the same. Yeah. But, uh, the, the, um, Yvonne Lopez does make the point that there are a lot of AT, I didn't know this, but there are a lot of ATMs and other, uh, um, like stores in yeah. New Jersey that already accept cryptocurrency for much uh, more legal transactions than, <laughs> than, than drug stuff. So I, I haven't seen any, but, um, that's pretty cool. Um, so it's good that this will allow, uh, people to, you know, yeah. stores to license it and things like that. So. That's great. No, yeah. I have to go find that guy at the library again. Yeah, let him know that um, soon he'll be able to legally exchange <laughs> exchange his funds. Yeah, in a safe manner for legal purposes. Up next is the Bob Menendez oh, versus yes. Larry Ham. Larry Ham. So, in an interview with CNN, Senator Bob Menendez worried about the impact that presidential candidate Bernie Sanders would have on down ballot Democratic candidates. Menendez says, "Quote." There's no question Sanders will create a real challenge for down-ballot candidates if he's a Democratic nominee. I'm thinking of my home state in New Jersey. We got three new House members. They run in districts that were held by Republicans. How do they triangulate? How do they, if someone like Sanders is at the top of the ticket? End quote. So the chairman of Bernie Sanders' presidential campaign, New Jersey, and Democratic candidate for U.S. Senate, Larry Hamm, disagreed with Bob Menendez's take. In an interview with Insider New Jersey, Larry Hamm responded, Quote, we have to ask ourselves, what is happening? There is a tectonic shift taking place among Democrats. People want change. They don't want Trump, first of all. But the question is, what are the policies that are going to guide the nation? People want policies that relate to economic justice. The middle class is being pushed into the working class. Working class people are being pushed into poverty. And poor people are falling through the safety net and joining the ranks of the homeless. Bernie Sanders is the one putting forward policies that address quality of life and not just taking care of the richest people in society. People want government to work for them, end quote. So I thought that was a pretty good challenge to Menendez's uh, take. Plus, Menendez, I think what Menendez ignores is that Bernie Sanders is, uh, without going into national politics yeah. too much, Bernie Sanders is extremely popular among uh, 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 Democrats, and he's able to bring out a lot of new... A lot of excitement. excitement. Of new, so, new voters are being registered... Right, exactly. So the idea that that uh, Bernie Sanders is going to be bad for down ballot Democrats, whereas someone like say a Bloomberg or a Biden would be good, is is just kind of ridiculous. And the issue also, I think, not trying to go into national politics. Yeah. So national politics aside, but for a minute to talk about the issue of down ballot, and for people who aren't aware of what that kind of a reference means, it's if you have this eccentric, quote unquote, uh, radical candidate in you know your presidential campaign seat that that would deter people from voting democrat and a lot of people i'm not going to name names will just vote party 
Right. They'll vote Democrat, they'll vote Republican, down the ballot, doesn't matter whose name is there, they're a Democrat, they're registered Democrat, they're going to vote Democrat until they die. Other people who are maybe independent or, I forgot what they call, but they're like uh, Bush Obama voters who once voted Republican, who then vote Democrat, who go back and forth, they might be registered, they might not be. And my take on it is it's not it's not gonna affect those people who just vote party and who are party loyalists and i don't think that you know the bernie being in that presidential seat will deter anyone because if you're gonna vote you're gonna vote the only issue where it comes down the line is if bernie is looking like the candidate for the national party and they do what they did. I don't want to touch on it too much, but <laughs> what they did the last presidential uh, election of, you know, some questionable things, that would deter people from voting. I think that would affect... They, they mean the DNC. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the DNC. Um, but I think that's where you get these people who are like, I want to vote Bernie or I don't want to vote Bernie, but I'm a loyalist. But it's going to affect the people who are saying, well, I'll vote. For the party but if you mess around and do some you know tomfoolery as they say then that would deter them from voting democrat that's what happened to me you know i'm i'm an independent voter i'm not registered any party and when i saw what happened you know the last presidential election i voted i did my research and i voted whoever i thought was the best person for the seat that i was voting for and you know, educating the public on the different candidates for who are running for local election, state election, national election. I think it's vital for you to do your research so that if and when things go awry and they don't go according to your party's plan or your individual plan, um, no, be educated on who's running and the alternatives. And until, you know, I mean, we're talking now, February, end of February, um, we don't really know where the presidential campaign is going to go, but it's looking like... It's looking pretty good for Sanders. <laughs> it's looking pretty I good. I think the other thing to, to add is um, we have to also put that Trump is going to be a factor in turnout. Yeah. So uh, he's saying he's worried... Bob Mendez, I mean, is saying he's worried about Sanders affecting the down-ballot uh, turnout for you know people who aren't going to vote for uh, uh, the down-ballot Democratic candidates. But the, the thing that what happened is like you know uh, um, we're already starting to have an economic downturn and we're uh, uh, part of that's related to the coronavirus's uh, effects on global supply chains but if if enough people are angry at Trump for like the way he's been acting in office and come out to vote anyway you're going to get an influx of anti-Trump voters who I mean they're probably going to vote Democrat down ballot and whoever yeah. the nominee is so, uh, yeah, I really don't think there's any substance to what Bob and his critique had. Whereas, like, I mean, I mean I'm mean, i a supporter of Bernie Sanders, so, like, I'm more partial to what Larry Hamm had to say. But, full disclosure. Full disclosure. <laughs> but uh, it, it does seem like Larry Hamm was making a, a stronger point. Yeah, and also, the fact of the matter is, is New Jersey is a purple state. We have both Republicans and Democrats in high uh, well, numbers. We, we vote. We vote a lot. We of, vote. Uh, a <laughs> lot of... It's, it's, it's mainly Democrats. Yeah, but, it, but people... The idea that if Bernie is the candidate, that people are either not going to turn out or going to rebel and vote Republican, I don't like. I don't think that's a possibility, in my opinion. My yeah, humble, my humble opinion. I don't see that happening at all. So stop it, Menendez. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Next up, a uh, cat be calling. Nice segue. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nice segue in topics. Uh, New Jersey has in the legislative offices right now, they are looking at cat declawing as an issue. It's a law that they want to completely ban declawing uh, only under the circumstances of a health reason. Um, those of you who are not familiar with cat declawing, it basically... And I, full disclosure, I volunteer at an animal sanctuary, so we are trained all about cats, and we know, you know, how if you declaw a cat, it's basically like removing your human fingers. It's the way they interact with their environment, it's the way that they play, it's the way that they, you know, and they have their natural mechanisms of if you have scratchers in your house, they have natural mechanisms of, you know, filing down their nails, and yes, you should responsibly trim your cat's nails and the issue with the bill is they want to ban it completely unless it's a medical 
situation where the cat needs to be declawed. Um, so is it true that um, I've heard that when cats are de- uh, declawed, it actually doesn't help the cat be safer? Like they'll 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 turn to biting. Yes. More. They'll turn to biting, and it's also it's very traumatic. And some veterinarians are it's it's a skill that is not done very often. So if you imagine, you know, going to uh, a doctor that isn't constantly treating the same thing, um, so not all veterinarians are going to be super advanced and super great about declawing. So sometimes you might have. A veterinarian who's a little soft on those skills and it's just natural that it won't perfectly heal and the cat you know it's just awful um so they're working to ban it so there's a according to new jersey news network senate bill number 920 would ban the decline of cats and it was favorably quote unquote received on monday with uh, three yes votes by the Senate Environmental um, and Energy Committee. So the bill was introduced by Senators Troy Singleton and Vin Gopal. Gopal? Vin Gopal. (laughs) Would make it illegal for veterinarians to declaw a cat with exceptions for specific health issues. Um, And the issue, people who are opposed to this kind of a full ban, they argue that it will prevent people from adopting cats that have claws uh, who want to you know, save them from a kill shelter, what have you. Um, and they're afraid that if people aren't able to declaw their cats that they will give them up to kill shelters. Uh, my opinion, as full disclosure, a cat owner uh, and cat lover, <laughs> is that if you value your material possessions more than your cat, um, then maybe you shouldn't have a cat. Maybe you should volunteer at a cat shelter, you know, get that, that cat interaction, what have you, <laughs> elsewhere. But don't put the cat's life in jeopardy. Don't put the cat, like, in pain. Because sometimes the cats will, once they're declawed, heal improperly. Because if you think about yeah. it, they're using that to go through their environment. And when you declaw a cat, you're basically removing their fingers. And it's also super traumatic for the cat so I would just so you're aware that people are trying to keep that law from not passing and trying to oppose it but I don't think it's facing much opposition but it's just an issue to be aware about uh, I, I have to agree with your take on this I mean full disclosure I also own two cats <laughs> so as you can tell the the big cat lobby definitely runs our podcast <laughs> but uh, I do agree I do agree it's decalling is a bad practice uh, no one should support it. Yeah. Take that. <laughs> Next up is a fun little bill that's in the works. According to ABC News, New Jersey bill would make beachgoers fasten umbrellas to the sand. And you might be wondering why. <laughs> why, why, would, why on earth would we ever need a law for this? Is might, might be what you're thinking. You might be thinking, what's going on, New Jersey? So, so, so what is going on? So basically what's going on is that the bill was introduced on February 20th and it would require that umbrellas be secured on the days when the wind speed at the beach is 25 miles per hour or more. And some, some argue that it should not have the mile per hour regulation. I think some people are saying that just all umbrellas, no matter what the wind speed is, should be secured because it turns out, ladies and gentlemen, there have been, last year alone, there have been multiple accounts where women have been impaled by beach umbrellas. Are they are the umbrellas <laughs> targeting women specifically, or, or is it just a bad case of luck? Like, is this a... I... This, is, this brill's pro-women. It is, is it pro-women? Is it anti-umbrella? <laughs> I, <laughs> so I have some, uh, some more information on this from nj1015.com. So some of, some of these injuries were quite serious. In 2016, a Virginia woman celebrating her birthday at the beach was struck by a flying beach umbrella that pierced her torso, killing oh, her. What? She was impaled by a... On her birthday. On her birthday. On the beach. Yeah. That's horrific. And then in 2018, a beach tourist relaxing on a beach in Seaside Heights was struck by an umbrella that impaled her ankle. <laughs> Rescuers had to use bolt cutters to free her. Oh my god! About a, and then just a week later, a woman on the beach in Ocean City, uh, this is Ocean City, Maryland, but I guess, you know, close enough, was struck by a beach umbrella that penetrated her chest. It too had to be cut away, rescuers said, before uh, 
should be brought to a hospital. So it, it might seem that this is no laughing matter, but indeed, <laughs> people are being impaled, mostly women. Mostly women on the record. I fear for my life now on the beach. Do you plan on going to the beach this summer, or is it depend on if this bill? It passed? depends on if the bill passes. I mean, some. How are my question is is you know on the lifeguard stand where they put you know high tide low tide are they also gonna address high wind speed high wind, wind speed, speed. safer umbrella or not or and who's not? gonna patrol the beaches? That's when bills like this come up, you have to say yes, this should happen. You know, people are dying on the beach. But how is this going to come into effect? Who's going to be the... Is it going to be lifeguards? Is it going to be well, said, the beach badge this people? This had fine, so I imagine it's going to be like the uh, the police. You ever see the police go up and down? They'll drive their cars sometimes on the beach and things like that. No. I've seen that. Okay. Yeah, so I imagine they're going to they're gonna enforce it. Okay. According to the ABC News article about this topic, they are saying that the... The bill would also require stores that sell beach umbrellas to post a sign warning of the dangers that they can pose, and also signs should be posted at the entry of beaches to alert beachgoers that they are required by this law to secure their umbrellas. I'm sorry, I, I'm sorry, <laughs> listeners, I'm, I'm reading this ABC article and I have to quote, They, I guess they interviewed some random person on the beach, quote, I go to the beach fairly regularly. And my wife is in charge of putting the umbrella securely into the sand. Is he blaming his wife? Yeah, it's a simple thing to do, but a lot of people don't want to be bothered with it. It kind of sounds like he doesn't want to be bothered with it. Yeah. But he, now he's going to have to be. If this bill passes, everyone's going to be bothered. If he doesn't trust his wife to secure the umbrella, then he's going to have to secure it. His wife might be targeted by the umbrellas if he yeah. doesn't. Only women have died from this. Only women. Jokes aside, it is... It's, it's pretty basic common courtesy. It's a shame that we have to enforce it. But, like, I've seen umbrellas, like, take, take off seen, on the I've beach. It's actually wild. Too. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, Someone get that umbrella. Yeah. Might, <laughs> but now you know. A woman. It's one of those things I think it's funny because we all have seen the, the beach umbrella go. But we haven't seen the carnage. Like, I think it's yeah. one of those old, like, wives' tales on the beach where you have those, you know, urban legends that actually are true where people who, like, would bury themselves under the sand, you know, they would build a cave and then suddenly the cave entrance would collapse and they'd be oh, buried yeah. alive. And a lot of kids, I used to do that as a kid. And it's one of those things that you just do to occupy yourself. Like, your parents don't want to hang out with you, so like, go dig a hole. So you build a cave instead and no one knows how life-threatening that is. So... All jokes aside, I want to say I support this bill. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to be against it. It's just it's just a minor fine. Yeah. And, and, and like, again, the, the, just... Who would know? Pe people are getting impaled by yeah. by umbrellas. And the, Jer the Jersey Beach is a hugely popular tourist destination. So, we, you know, millions of people go to the beach a year. Yeah, so. and it's not even just New Jersey residents that are doing it. And we have people who come from all over to oh, come to our state. Oh, that's what I would like to look into. Are yeah. these out-of-staters destroying our uh, people? <laughs> are these out-of-state umbrellas <laughs> targeting New Jersey women? <laughs> Next up on the agenda, the Candyman. You would think that it's an innocent child's game, but really, it is a New Jersey doctor who is in charge of, you know, first do no harm. I think he labeled himself the Candyman. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, Robert Delegante, 45 Oakland, was a doctor at a practice called North Jersey Family Medicine in Oakland. Uh, so basically he's been, you know, according, according to multiple news outlets, he is accused of falsifying medical records to cover his tracks. He, um... He, just, he distributed opioids without a legitimate medical reason. So, as we all well know, not going to go into the national, you know, news of it all, but there is a crisis right now of overprescription, addiction, selling illegally of prescription medication, most, more often than not, you know, opiates. And for a, for a doctor to just willy-nilly prescribe over prescribe this medication he is contributing heavily to the problem and to then as a doctor who's contributing to this problem refer to himself as the candy man as el chapo <laughs> it's, 
It's a, uh, it's pretty heinous. Yeah, so he, he actually wrote a prescription for 120 oxycodone tablets and told the patient he can pick it up at the front desk, said the prosecutors. And at one point, the doctor told the patient, quote, I'm literally sticking my neck out and could lose my medical license or be arrested for what I just did, end quote. So he was pretty knowingly prescribing these uh, uh, opioids to people contributing to the crisis. What I don't understand is to become a doctor, you have to go through all that school. You have to practice and practice and practice. And to get your license, you have to do all these tests. You have to jump through all these hoops. It's very difficult. A lot of people don't become doctors because of that reason. You know, the funding, the paying for the school. So for him to just be so flippant about it, it's shocking. I don't know what to say. Just, yeah, <laughs> he, it, it's, pretty, it's pretty shocking. But and the, yeah, I guess money is one of the reasons why he did it. Uh, but is to it? Me. But, at the same that's time, what, that's, no, that's no excuse for But that's what I want to know, though. Is it is it money? Is it? I want to know the financials behind it. If you overprescribe, are you cashing in on the prescription drug costs? Are you having, you know, those you know drug salespeople come in and you're getting a kickback? Like, what is what is the the motivation? So it's a sentencing uh, for Delegante, uh, the El Chapo, of opioids. It's scheduled for June 10th. Maximum penalty is 20 years in prison and a million-dollar fine on each of the distribution of controlled dangerous substance charges. So he basically faces a maximum penalty of 20 years in prison and a $250,000 fine on the charge of falsifying medical records. Next up <laughs> is, I guess, our, our individual things. Fun, fun, fun. Yeah, well... New Jersey water is not fun. Is that right, Casey? You want to? Oh, it's talk not about... fun. I wanted to bring. I wanted to raise this issue because in this week there was a basically a press release from New Jersey American Water, whose parent company is American Water. Uh, New Jersey American Water has been issuing press releases almost rapid fire this month. New Jersey American Water, on February 3rd, they issued a, a release saying that they're putting in $4.6 million in hillsides and infrastructure. Uh, February 5th, $520,000 in Ocean Township. February 6th, $3 million in Howell. February 7th, $1.3 million in Bradley Beach. February 18th, $357,000 in Roseville Park. February 18th, $25 million for Howell. And February 20th, $1.8 million in Pleasantville. So I've been seeing a lot in the local news. People are publicizing this and kind of applauding New Jersey American water. So that made me wonder, you know, what is up with the water <laughs> in New Jersey? And I went down this rabbit hole um, of where's the water coming from? What entities are controlling it? And I think that always struck me as something that this was very important was of course, not to touch on national news, but Flint, Michigan's water quality. And around that time, there was in the news, because uh, I was in New Brunswick at the time, New Brunswick water was also being questioned because there were reports, and I'm loosely, you know, saying this, but there were reports of people in the New Brunswick water falsifying documents, uh, falsifying meter reads, and when I say falsifying documents, falsifying water quality documents. And there was also a case where um, New Brunswick Today, they were anonymously <laughs> given a water meter and um, police showed up to take that meter from them. It was, you know, publicized and, you know, live streamed. Um, and the, the goal of New Brunswick today was to evaluate, you know, is this meter being read properly? Has it been tampered with? You know, all that fun stuff. And as a New Jersey resident, I think, oh, my water's good, right? Like, it's, it's fine. No, not necessarily. <laughs> and a big uh, misconception is the difference between private water and public water. So if you are a New Jersey resident and you get your water from your well, the sole responsibility on the quality of water is on you. So you could assume that your water quality is great, but you need to make sure that you are effectively testing your water every every year to make sure that there's nothing that's seeping into your well and contaminating your water. But the wider issue that I wanted to touch on is the public water. So when you see headlines like 20, basically 28 million being uh, contributed to Howell Township by New Jersey American Water. 
it raised a flag for me because I wanted to know what exactly does that mean when you're putting that much money into an infrastructure what exactly is that getting for the residents of that area and also why are you choosing Howell you know um, Howell's Howell's median household income based on the census data that I was looking at was hundred and two hundred thousand and basically to if you do a deep dive into the 25 million in Howell infrastructure they are putting in 20,000 feet of new water main uh, pipes and then also 25 new fire hydrants along that specific route and my big my big question with uh, the water is who controls it so I, I did some research and New Jersey American Water is a child company of American Water and American Water <laughs> basically controls the water for, they have all these different entities. So they have a, a station in California, Hawaii, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kentucky, New York, Maryland, Michigan, uh, Missouri, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, and West Virginia. And so it's basically like a, a national conglomerate of, you know, these different water processing plants. And, and the issue with this is that when you are responsible for so much it leaves things to go awry the new jersey american water president her name is cheryl norton she also holds the hat of a senior vp in the eastern division of american water which manages new jersey new york virginia and maryland's uh american waters um, and she's also the chief environmental officer for american water so cheryl her having all these many hats just raises a concern for me because it's a lot. It's a lot to take on and she's a very intelligent woman. She's been with the company for a lot of years, but when you have the responsibility of, you know, life source, <laughs> it raises the question of, are you able to maintain and to direct your reports to do things in the, in the most uh, transparent fashion? So that made me want to do a deeper dive into American Water, New Jersey American Water specifically, on their quality reports. Because specifically they're saying they're putting in $28 million this month, um, releasing that information into the Howell Township. So I did a little deep dive into American, New Jersey American Water's Howell reports. And the they basically have these charts and these reports. And if you want to know your water quality, I recommend, and if you know your water is provided by New Jersey American Water. They have um, public reports to, it's their susceptibility chart, and it breaks down when they've pulled water samples and they've tested it for a number of things. What they test it for are pathogens, which are disease-causing organisms, nutrients, which are just like, you know, nutrients, uh, volatile organic compounds, which are basically degreasers, gasoline components that basically run off into the water streams, pesticides, don't need to explain that, inorganics, uh, they're mineral-based compounds, so it's basically like arsenic, lead, asbestos, copper in the water, um, radionuclides, Hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly. <laughs> but they, those are radioactive substances, which are both man-made and natural. And radon, which are cancer-causing gases, which are believe they're they're not very detectable, so they don't have a scent. They don't like you can't really taste anything. It's just unknown. And it's in the water. You only know it's there if you test it. And disinfectic uh, byproduct precursors, which are basically chlorine. Um, so if I I did some <laughs> digging and it was a little bit alarming because if you look at the report for the Howell um, area it's I want to I'm not I'm not a scientist but it's <laughs> in comparison to other areas like uh, their reports for Camden Atlantic City there's a lot more high scoring results in those areas than it is Howell so my big, I'm not trying to be alarmist, but my big concern is for the public, for any New Jersey resident, you're going to want to know who is, you know, guaranteeing your quality of water and what are you supposed to do as an individual consumer of that water to make sure that your household is safe and that your children are safe and that anyone who comes to your house for an extended period of time 
they're safe. Because if you think about how often you use water, you're cooking with it, you're bathing in it, you're brushing your teeth in it, you're, the amount of exposure you're getting of this water is alarming. And I'm trying to be Aaron Brockovich right now, but it's, it's something you should be highly aware of. And especially when the news headline, it's almost like a appeasement to the public. When you see New Jersey American Water is putting, you know, 28 million in Howell's infrastructure, you wonder, oh, like, oh, that's that sounds good. Like, A plus, I'm getting good quality water, even though I don't go to Howell, you know what I mean? Like, I don't live there. And the issue that you need to start doing as an individual consumer is investigating who's responsible for your water and taking the action of testing your own water because from my research, it doesn't necessarily mean anything that say you are a Howell resident and say you're getting this huge investment in your water infrastructure. Sounds good, but at the end of the day, your water quality is impacted by a number of different factors. And unless you know what the water coming out of your pipe in your home, in your specifically even in your own faucet, like you might have different water qualities for each faucet in your house, depending on how often your pipes have been replaced and how often you've tested your water and all the different things in the environment that could impact from point A of the water processing treatment plant to your faucet, all these different things could happen. And if you're not testing your water, you are basically, you know, taking the responsibility off everyone else and it's all on you because you're not taking the active effort to test your water and know what's going in it. Were you saying that Howell was getting a lot, like they had a high median income average yes. and they were getting a lot of money? Yes. And they already had better quality water than Camden and, and, and uh, the other place, right? Or no? Yes. So what you need to do as an individual consumer, all right, so what I wanted to touch on is that Howell is... I don't want to say a high income neighborhood, but it is relatively like they're not, they have a very low number of people living below the poverty line there. And they're getting this infrastructure, you know, resurgence from New Jersey American water, but that's because New Jersey American water provides their water. And you have other areas like New Brunswick has its own New Brunswick water, um, like a utility company. Utility. So New Brunswick has its own water utility company. And if you're not aware of that, then you don't know that, you know, how getting this investment doesn't affect you. You know what I mean? Like it, it's sometimes it's a very major public, you know, utility service, sometimes it's a very small one. And I didn't know that as a New Jersey resident, I thought, you know, surely the government's regulating this. Surely I'm okay. But you know, in more cases than not, <laughs> that's not the case. So it's one of those things of you need to know how big or small the company that's, you know, regulating your water is. And you also can't really rely on the government to be like the big brother and to look over you um, and keep an eye on everything for you because that's not the case. Um, Isn't one of the, so one of the issues in Flint, Michigan was that it, it's a disproportionately African-American and poor area. And it, the water was like basically mismanaged. Yes. Uh, criminally. Yes. So in, in New Jersey, where we're seeing some of these areas, so like Newark, I believe, was said to have uh, some lead in the water and some other areas. Yes. Even if, so like New Jersey American Water has the resources to help the higher income areas that are under its control, but aren't some of the areas, or even they're not, even if they're not involved in, say like Newark or New Brunswick, they might not have the resources to help and redo the lead Yes. Their water. So one of the things that I saw in the budget was that uh, the, the governor is, pro is proposing appropriating $80 million to support critical drinking water infrastructure uh, needs in 2021. And this would include supporting new staffing and compliance and enforcement to increase drinking water related inspections and investigations. It doesn't say anything about prioritizing of... So I'm not sure how that 80 million will be spent on what communities and things like that, but this is stuff that people should uh, look out for. It's stuff people should look out for, and also it should be noted that how much, how many, what did he say was going to be put towards water infrastructure? Oh, it's it's towards water infrastructure. Yeah. And also um, money's going towards uh, hiring of new staff for compliance and enforcement in drinking water related. Inspections. And how much was that? It just says 80 million. Is 80 going million. Towards that. And that's for. 2020's budget. 2021. 2021. So just for a little 
benchmark, uh, New Jersey American Water, in 2019, they put in $375 million statewide on their infrastructure. So, <laughs> is it just water infrastructure? That's or? just water infrastructure. Yeah, so this is like eighty million new dollars. Uh, apparently, uh, in the budget, he does say this would be the first new appropriation for water infrastructure in decades. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so let that be known: New Jersey water, the quality of water, is a very political issue, but it's not talked about very often. That was just like a bullet point in his budget address. But yep. the, the fact of the matter is, is there are these companies that are regulating and testing your water. They are big, they are small, and you are trusting them with your life. And they're not necessarily accountable to you. No. So you, you really do need to test your water, uh, organize with your community to have everyone test their water, and uh, if necessary, put some pressure on lawmakers to make sure that your water is actually safe to drink, safe to use, and consume. Exactly. And I stumbled upon um, an environmental group. It's called the Environmental Working Group. It's a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization. And if you go, you can just Google them and look for their tap water database. So you enter your zip code. They will show you the featured water utility company that regulates and maintains your water. And you could see their quality reports. And if you are able to test your own water with I know Home Depot has a lot of like water testing kits um, if you're able to test your water and bring those results to that entity that's you know supposed to maintain your water they'll be able to help you um, a lot of these organizations these companies have numbers listed about if there's an emergency if there is a, a way to send in your test results all that kind of information I don't want to say that these water organizations are bad people I want to say that there's a lot of faucets in New Jersey. <laughs> We're one of the most uh, populated states and it's very dense and you need to take some kind of action for yourself to make sure that your water quality is good. And if the company then doesn't do anything to help you in your situation, then you then you raise hell for, for your public officials and have them, you know, pick a bone about it. And don't stop until it's it's fixed because this is life or death really. I mean, literally, water water yeah. is life. You need you yeah. need water to survive. Yeah, that was great. Thank you. So, <laughs> all right. So, what I have is uh, Larry Ham versus Cory Booker. U.S. Senator and former presidential candidate Cory Booker is getting a primary challenger. Chairman of Bernie Sanders' presidential campaign in New Jersey, Larry Ham is running for his seat in the Democratic primary. Cory Booker was mayor of Newark from 2006 to 2013. On October 31st, 2013, Cory Booker was sworn in the U.S. Senate and actually became the first African-American U.S. Senator from New Jersey. Larry Ham also comes out of Newark. A longtime community organizer and activist, Larry Ham has been involved in human rights struggles for over 40 years. While at Princeton University, where Larry Ham received his uh, bachelor's degree in 1978, Larry distinguished himself from, uh, during the anti-apartheid movement by organizing student protests and calling attention to Princeton's financial investments in apartheid South Africa. Uh, during these protests, uh, he actually it actually resulted in Princeton University divesting from uh, South Africa's apartheid economy. Uh, Larry Hamm was extremely uh, impactful as a student activist in Princeton, and his, he's actually chronicled in the uh, documentary film Blacks at Princeton. Uh, Larry Hem helped organize and is currently chairman of the People's Organization for Progress, which is an independent, grassroots, progressive organization working for racial, social, and economic justice. Although they're of similar backgrounds, both coming out of the African-American community in Newark, Cory Booker and Larry Hem really couldn't be more different. Booker spent most of his life as a career politician, whereas Larry Hem has been a longtime community organizer with actual connections to working people in Newark and the surrounding areas. Larry Hamm relates himself to the Bernie Sanders presidential campaign, being its chair, whereas Cory Booker endorsed Hillary Clinton in 2016 and ran his own campaign for president in 20, the 2020 election before he ultimately dropped out in January. Hamm's support will come primarily from uh, volunteers and small donations from the working people, and according to Open Secrets, the top contributors to Cory Booker's campaign from 2015 to 2020 have been law firms and securities and investments, meaning uh, financial institutions. Around half of the donations to Booker's campaign have been uh, large individual contributions. That means more than $200 in a single donation. Um, there's no information currently on Larry Hamm's uh, 
uh, contributions. Uh, it's just information that's not available yet. But I imagine if it, if he kind of mirrors Bernie Sanders' campaign, it's going to be a similar small donation, largely com- uh, community volunteers. I thought it was interesting when when Larry Ham was a student uh, at Princeton University. He helped to uh, participate and lead the anti-apartheid struggle in South. Uh, uh, against South Africa by doing the kind of boycott, divestment, sanction movement that was going on at the time. This was a very uh, um, a grassroots-led movement that was the goal was to uh, boycott, divest, and, and ultimately sanction uh, South Africa's economy because uh, South Africa was, a, as everyone I'm sure knows, was an apartheid state where the uh, white minority ruled over the black uh, majority of the, of the country. So the... the Palestinians have kind of mirrored their struggle now with the BDS movement today and have related it to it. And I think it's interesting that in November 2018, Booker co-sponsored the Israeli Anti-Boycott Act, which would have made it a federal crime punishable by a maximum sentence of 20 years in prison for Americans to encourage or participate in boycotts against Israel and Israeli settlements in the occupied Palestinian territories. Uh, which is actually a, a crazy thing. If you think about it, I mean, boycotts and divestments and sanctions are, are American as it is. It's, it's, yeah. it's protected by the First Amendment. And it's one of the most powerful ways to protest something exactly. is to not to not invest in it. So that's yes. where you see a lot of people of the LGBT plus community who are not, you know, getting their chicken sandwiches from Chick-fil-A. A lot of people who are, you know, for women's rights are not, you know, shopping at Hobby Lobby. It doesn't mean that you are homophobic if you get a chicken sandwich from Chick-fil-A. It doesn't mean that you are against women's rights if you shop at Hobby Lobby. It just means that you are not spending your money in a way which is as free as it gets. You earned your money. You should be able to spend it whichever way you want. And if you don't agree with a company or an entity or an organization, whatever, don't spend your money there because that's how they get their power. Exactly. Money, you know? <laughs> exactly. So for people who doubt the efficacy of BDS... Uh, just consider why are they trying so hard to stop it? Because because it because it worked. It worked in the case of South Africa, and and it raises attention to the uh, possibly more important than actually the uh, um, the actual boycott. It's, uh, the economic effect of the boycott itself. It raises attention to the issue, which can put even more pressure on politicians to do something about it. Yes. So I mean, the effect is rippling. BDS has been around for a while, and now you even have. Uh, people like Bernie Sanders and most of the Democratic uh, candidates are not, except for Joe Biden, are going not going to be speaking at APEC this, this year. So BDS does have a, an effect. So it's actually pretty absurd of uh, Cory Booker to sponsor such a bill that would make it a federal crime to just participate in First Amendment protected activities. <laughs> so the other thing I wanted to bring up is is uh, uh, like Larry Ham's chances. I, I couldn't find any polling. Uh, I guess it's. New Jersey, we're so late. It's not until June when the primary is, yeah. so it's very difficult to get any kind of polling at this point. So I don't, I, I couldn't find any. Uh, so it's not clear if uh, uh, where what, people what stand. The status is. But the, the just from uh, thinking it through a little bit, uh, Booker incumbents generally have a lot of advantages. If name recognition, I mean, they uh, uh, usually have a lot of funding. And in the case of Booker, he gets a lot of funding from uh, yeah. uh, really rich individuals. So he'll be able to put out ads and other things like that. The, the thing is, though, is, is it depends on the turnout. So since since uh, the primary is so late in June, if it seems like Bernie Sanders is going to be a shoe-in, right, or like, or if it seems like whoever the nominee is is going gonna, is gonna, to uh, win, which, uh, it might people might not be as enthusiastic to come out and support a candidate. However, uh, it's in such a divided field right now, with uh, you have Bernie Sanders, uh, the current uh, front-runner, but um, since he really, in order for him to get nominated, he needs to get 51% of the delegates. Otherwise, it'll go to a brokered convention. So it might yeah. be that there might be a huge turnout in the New Jersey election coming up. Because uh, uh, New Jersey might actually matter. Every state might matter now, uh, just from how close this election is. A whole new world. Yeah. Usually, the New Jersey <laughs> primary doesn't matter at all because it's pretty much over by the time it gets to us. But with yeah. every vote counting... Uh, with every vote counting, that means there's going to be more people in the ballot box, which even though these are two Democratic senator candidates it means that people are gonna have to choose yeah and i think you know ham is at a disadvantage because of the name recognition right and well he is well known in 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 the newark uh, area north jersey area but i mean again booker was a presidential candidate so he has a a clear name recognition and politics is not in a bubble so even if you are a newark voter you might have a person who's not from newark in your ear saying oh you should vote 
you should vote Booker. Like yeah. I saw, because it's not going to be only campaign ads in Newark, New Jersey. Right. And Booker has name recognition from a number of things that he did in New Jersey, but also his presidential run. And yeah. I think that's another thing I wanted to get your opinion on is, do you think Booker running for president had a negative impact on his Senate? That's a good question. Um, I think... Because Christie, notably, was yeah. not even in the state for yeah. most of the year while he was running. Yeah, so I did read that Booker uh, missed the majority of his Senate votes while uh, he was running. So um, he, he's actually, yeah, in the past <laughs> year or so, he basically didn't vote at all in the Senate. But they also, he did have some high-profile things that he could run as video clips. So during the Kavanaugh hearings, he made some... Uh, important uh, comments Oops. during them, and that can be used during an ad. Uh, yeah. He had some decent debate performances that, I mean, they weren't great, they weren't awful. Uh, I think the major factor is is how much Larry Ham can get his name out there, and, and also, he is, I mean, he is a, an important politician in his own right. He's, he's the uh, uh, chairman of, of the presidential campaign for Bernie Sanders in New Jersey. Uh, people are going to be coming out to vote for for Bernie Sanders, and if Bernie Sanders looks like he's going to win New Jersey, um, if they if the name recognition can align that Larry Ham, Bernie Sanders, they'll vote for both of them, yeah. as opposed to uh, Cory Booker. But um, again, we don't have polling, so it's all kind of just like speculation. Uh, I'd be interested in seeing how this turns out. Yeah, because it would be... Because Booker has kind of put himself on the national field yeah. through his... Through his I think it was in that documentary, was it Street Fight? Something like that. Um, and, which was an interesting documentary. I, I saw it, it was pretty good. Um, but it, it showed that he, you know, in comparison to the incumbent, he was, you know, a man of the people. Like, he was doing grassroots organizing, he was trying to, you know, campaign and put his whole heart into it. And him being a senator, you would think that he would put the equal amount, but I wonder if his view and his political ambitions got the best of him. Right. You know, because if you're if you're a proud New Jerseyan and you're going to run for office and you believe and you have people that believe in you and you get into that seat, I think you owe a debt to the people who got you there. Yeah. And if your ambitions are higher, then I think you should... I know it's a stepping stone, like, in the political career path, you know, the end result is, you know, the highest office that you can do is the presidential office. However, if you are someone who is a community leader and you want the best for your constituents, I don't think you, I mean, it's a relatively early campaign run for him for president. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, and he also dropped out kind of early, too, so he yeah. didn't really get far. Um, the, other, the other thing, I, think, I don't know how much of Cory Booker's um, part of a community organizer and all that stuff is just how much substance is there to that? Yeah. Compare him to say like Larry Ham, like like uh, Larry Ham, who has been actually a community organizer for forty years. Whereas Booker was mayor, he was using the uh, from, from since two thousand six. So he's been basically been a career politician since two thousand six, jumping from uh, mayor to U.S. Senate. And um, at least with Larry Ham, you do have that actual connection to uh, community organizing and other things where it's like. Uh, you're, you're yeah, I don't. I guess, yeah, I just, I just don't know how much of it is uh, substance versus uh, just aesthetics for running for president. Kind of pulling the, uh, the, like the same thing. Kind of Obama did. I'm a community organizer. Now, I'm, now I'm a senator. It's a lot yeah. of people like to copy that kind of uh, rhetoric. Because you want to, like, I'm, I'm interested to see how this goes. Because again, it's, it would be very interesting to see Booker, you know, upended. Yeah. After a like after a presidential campaign, because I think that's you know the the hubris. You know what I mean? That's you mm -hmm. know a shot in the foot of you. You only can from for me as a New Jersey voter, as an American voter, I like to see people who are ambitious and get things done. But I don't like to see, you know, the lily pad hopping to get more power. The kind of careerism. You know, like what what is motivating you as a politician? Um, is it that you want to help people or you want more power for yourself and your donors? Yeah, I definitely think Booker had that authenticity issue, when, yeah. during, which is why his campaign didn't take off when he was running. Silly as it sounds, people just get the feel when they listen to him that he, it's all an act. Yeah. And it was kind of the same, that was kind of the reaction a lot of people had during for his uh, um, uh, the Kavanaugh hearing things. Like, this is just being done for the cameras, it's just politics, it's clear that he's running for president. Like, this is not genuine. So... 
Yeah, again, it'll be interesting to see where this where this goes. Yeah. I'm excited for it. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Okay. That about wraps up our show. Yeah. So I think, I think that's <laughs> it. This is the end of the first episode of Jersey Matters. Next week we'll be reporting on... Things that happen next week. <laughs> <laughs> In next week's episode, you can hear us talk about what happened next week. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, signing off. This is Casey. This is Mike.